I'm Jinx and today's mini classics rant and adventure is into the magical world of the epic simile. Now I'm aiming for a one to none classics rant here, especially if I'm going to fit this into 10 minutes. So here goes. Mostly, I'm just miffed at how the simile, which is arguably the most important literary technique used in the Homeric epic poems, is completely ignored as being important by most of my secondary school students when they first come to read Homer. They've learned that a simile is a figure of speech using like or as from their English lessons, but now that they're in classics, they don't know how to use that information cross-curricularly. It's also completely ignored in pretty much every piece of film, TV or radio adaptation of the Odyssey and Iliad I've ever seen. I mean, it's mostly a visual medium. Why skip it? But we'll come back to that later. Today, what I want to do is tell you why it's important and then tell you what to do with it. The first and foremost issue my pupils have had with simile is spelling it. Here's the trick. It's like a smile, but with an extra eye. Be smiley. <laughs> You're welcome. The next problem at least some of my students seem to have is discerning the difference between simile and metaphor. As to them, the two techniques just seem to do the same thing, which is true. They do to an extent. The word metaphor comes from the Greek meaning to carry across in that one meaning is being carried over and transferred to another, which, as it's not literal, is a metaphor itself, just like in a simile, which itself is a simile. You could say it's like a simile taken a bit further and needing a bit more imagination to comprehend. So, for example, the simile, the sea bubbled like a boiling cauldron, could become the metaphor, the sea was a boiling cauldron, which takes a second or two longer to compute, as it's not literally so. However, proper metaphor, on the other hand, is a slightly later technique than the similes that appear in Homeric poetry. The rhapsode minstrel poet generally known as Homer was probably composing before the Archaic period, somewhere around the late 8th or early 7th century BC, whereas metaphor seems to appear around the 4th century BC, apparently first used in the Euagras of Isocrates and then discussed as a feature of poetry by Plato and in Aristotle's rhetoric and poetics. And it's come to be now so popular and expected in modern literature that there's even a type called a dead metaphor where you don't even notice it. For example, a pool of standing water. Water doesn't literally stand, but we understand the meaning as being a lack of movement and can, can apply it to the water in the pool. So much so that I once had a 40 minute argument with my A-level class in London over whether the phrase table leg is a metaphor or not. It is. I won. You can imagine the looks on the faces of my secondary school pupils if I told them all that, though. So mostly, I tell them that there are only similes in Homer, no metaphors, because metaphors hadn't been invented yet. Whereas simile is simpler. It means one thing is like another. Annoyingly, the term is actually Latin, the neuter of similis, and meaning like, resembling, of the same kind, you know, similar. But now I don't want to know what Homer actually called it, or whether he called it anything. But I'll leave that for now because I want to avoid another klaxon for all our sakes. The biggest issue my pupils have, though, is once they have actually identified and cornered a simile, they don't know what to do with it. Especially when it turns out that this is no ordinary one-line simile, but a Homeric or epic simile with lines and lines of comparison. They panic. They prod it with verbal sticks. When asked to explain it, they simply parrot back that a simile tells you something is like something else without actually explaining the epic simile in front of them and what it does. 
And it's so wonderful to be able to smile and tell them that you just picture one thing and then focus on, on its features and then you apply them to another thing. It's not something to be scared of. And in fact, it's what arguably makes the epic poem so good. Imagine, if you will, the original rhapsode reciting the original Odyssey or Iliad. The audience is sitting around listening. The story concerns gods, monsters, beautiful heroes, heroic women, exciting action on the field of battle. The audience, composed of normal, everyday, dark age or archaic period humans, whose lives are now primarily about farming and survival, are extremely unlikely to have experienced any of these things. They simply do not have a frame of reference for them. Ask them to imagine a battlefield full of soldiers in shining armour, running at and cutting each other down, and they're probably going to struggle to really picture it. And they'll get bored, they'll look around, and maybe poke each other with sticks for amusement. However, if you refer to something they do have experience of and give them a frame of reference, they'll be able to identify with that image far more easily. Of the 515-odd number of similes in the Iliad and Odyssey together, if I've counted correctly, and that's unlikely, a whopping 331-ish are related to nature, 198 specifically farming, with the rest referring to similarly identifiable subjects. 78 are based on human activity and family life. Nine are based on general human experiences, whereas only six are based on subjective experiences that maybe a few people might not have experienced. Two are based on dreams and 46 on comparisons to the gods. And while no one in the audience is likely to have met a god, they would have been very familiar with the attributes and characterizations of the gods. So this isn't too far a depth to plumb for an effective simile. And it's not just about visual stimulus. Most of the epic similes contain visual and auditory imagery, as well as creating an emotional response or other literary techniques such as dramatic irony. You can imagine each simile, <laughs> like simile, as being like digging through soil. The most obvious meaning is the grass on top, clear for all to see. And then the deeper you get, the richer the soil is and the more interesting the meaning of the simile. And anyone who's read a book, looked at a picture or watched a film knows that the more of these responses that medium can create in us, the better we will enjoy that medium. So going back to our original Raptor's audience, if you instead ask them to imagine something they as farmers are familiar with, such as a field of golden just ripe barley that is being harvested by reapers with sharp sickles, and then you tell them that the field full of soldiers cutting each other down is like that, they can be there in seconds and get so much more out of it. The reapers moving towards each other from either side of the field are like the two sides of battle. The tall barley is in the prime of its life, like the young soldiers. The gold of the barley is like the shining bronze of their armour. What a sight! The tall barley stalks falling flat on the ground as they are cut down at their bases is like the action of the slain soldiers falling bodily onto the plain, their life leaving them. And the sound of the sickles cutting is like the sound of the spears and swords that robbed them of that life. And that's actually my favourite Homeric simile from the Iliad, Book 11. You see, the simile isn't just an instruction of what picture to think of to fill an imagination gap, but it's an invitation to layers of meaning and sense. If you don't listen to and actually take part in the simile, you'll miss out on the excitement of the poem itself. You won't understand how deadly Achilles really is, because he's compared to the dog star 
which aside from being bright, like his armour, was also a bad omen. You won't get the dramatic irony of knowing Paris is going to lose the duel to Menelaus, and really badly too, because where the ginger king of Sparta is likened to a ravenous ginger lion, top of the food chain, Paris is likened to the carcass of a stag or goat. He's prey, and he's already dead meat. You won't get how hard Odysseus is working on making it clear to Nausicaa that he's not a sexual predator and respects her virginity by comparing her first to Artemis, a beautiful but also decidedly virgin goddess, and then to a beautiful sacred palm tree, not a sexual object, or how comparatively Penelope is presented to the reader as being like both Artemis and Aphrodite, virginal in action but sexy as hell to look at. And you won't understand just how tragically hopeless Hector feels as he runs away from Achilles, like a man in a dream that we've all been apparently having since humanity could get stressed about something, where he runs and runs away from something but doesn't get anywhere. And without Homer's similes, you won't understand how comparatively lacking in ability with similes Virgil is in the Aeneid, when you realise most of his are taken directly from the Iliad or Odyssey, except for his similes about how a boat race is like a chariot race. Great. And how Aeneas speaking is like a great man speaking. Okay, fine, that's just my opinion. But honestly, I think Virgil makes it pretty clear he's trying to outdo Homer when he copies the scene where Odysseus kills and brings back one huge stag to his men with difficulty. But in his scene, he has Aeneas bring back seven stags with no explanation whatsoever how he managed it. Okay, I'm being extremely harsh on Virgil, but each to their own, eh? If you liked this rant, please be sure to come back next time I pick a classically prickly subject and attempt to dissect it in under 10 minutes. And maybe even subscribe or leave me a nice review. If you're on Twitter or Instagram, come find me as Greek Myth Comics. And for comics on subjects like this, go directly to greekmythcomics.com. If you'd like to know more about the topic of today's rant, or any of them so far, you can find links to references and further reading on the Ancient Geek page of my website, which is greekmythcomics.com forward slash ancientgeek. And finally, if you have an idea or request for an episode, you can message me by email or by leaving me a voice message on the Anchor page, which could be included in a future episode. <sighs> I feel so much better. <laughs> Thanks for listening and have a great day.